Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. message today we have a song and we've been using this song as uh, the courses of this are the course of this song as our messages through Advent let's listen to it together If you've been following along, we are on the third phrase of that. Haste, haste to bring him laud. Haste, haste to bring him laud. The word laud means to worship or praise in a public way. Haste, haste to bring him laud. If you have a bulletin, you can take a peek at the back. We're going to have an opportunity for some sermon notes and uh, you can follow along through. It says this, from simple men 
with simple lives, and we talked about that last week, the shepherds, to high-ranking, and we're going to learn a little bit about the wise men, king-anointing officials from the east. They're called the Magi. Billions of people have fallen before our Savior, Christ the Lord, and worshipped. In its very broadest definition, worship is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. We do that in a more local setting, the church, by actively glorifying God with our voices and our hearts. So what we're going to do this morning is get a glimmer of the worship given to the baby Jesus by the wise men. So take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 2. We've been slowly going through the Christmas story, reading about the birth, reading about the shepherds, reading about the wise men. And uh, this Christmas Eve, we will look at the babe, the son of Mary, as the last part of that uh, chorus. So Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with them. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense or frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That is the reading of God's Word. And what I want to do just briefly, and if you're interested, you can go home and do a, do a, a big old search on the wise men and you can find out some information. But what I want to do is just give you some historical background very quickly concerning the wise men. Okay, they are a group of people, the Bible says, from the east. The region of that time was what we call Babylon, and inside Babylon, a group of people called the Medes and the Persians. It's our present-day Iran, and the Medes and Persians were a part of Babylonia. The main job of the Magi, these holy leaders, and these are holy leaders similar to the Levites. Remember, the Levites are the holy leaders for Israel, and they come from the tribe of Levi, 
the Magi are the holy people for the Medes and the Persians in Babylon, and they come from the tribe of Magi, so that's where you get the name, their initial responsibility was to install kings in this region of the Medes and the Persians. Now, if you remember back when we studied Habakkuk, the Jews were captured by the Babylonians in 605 B.C., and Jeremiah tells us that that captivity lasted for 70 years. Now, if you remember back, one of the Israelites, the Jews that was captured, his name was Daniel. He was one captured by the Babylonians. Daniel, after the lion's den, was promoted, guess what, chief of the Magi. And you can find that in Daniel chapter 5, verse 11. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, was given a prophecy, if you remember. We've studied it before. It's very difficult, but it's called the 69-week and the 70-week prophecy. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 9. The 69-week prophecy explained basically to the day the birth of our Savior. And the prophecy was protected by these magi for centuries. And the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, at just the right time, God sent his son to be born. The magi from way back when counted down the days from the prophecy. And this group of three, probably more than three, why do we say three? Because of the gifts, yeah. We say three magi because of the three gifts, but there probably were more than that. These three, or maybe more, probably more, made their way to the place of the Savior's birth. And as they begin their journey, they are led by a star. They, these magi are not only uh, magicians and they're astrologers and, and those kind of things too, so this was important to them. And it looks like it was a mobile star, and this star guided them to the place where Jesus was born. Now, here's some trivia, and I don't know that I know the answer to this, but was this a real star? Was this some kind of a comet? Was it a supernova where the planets just aligned right so they were very bright? Most of what I read, and this was surprising, it was probably the visible presence of the Lord called the Shekinah glory. And it was that same presence of the Lord that guided the Israelites out of Egypt. Remember in Exodus chapter 13, a pillar of fire by night. This is called the Shekinah glory. S-H-E-K-I-N-A-H. The Shekinah glory of the Lord. A pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Exodus 13.21. Finally, and, and this is going to be sad news for you, finally, you've got to take those wise men out of the, nat the nativity, all right? Because they did not show up when Jesus was born in the manger. It even says in our passage here that they showed up in the house. Finally, the wise men, who I hate to say do not belong in the nativity scene because they came a few months after Jesus was born. And as I shared, Matthew 2.11 in our text saw the family in a house. 
When they got there, they bowed down to worship or to bring him laud and presented Jesus with three gifts. All right. And then I wrote down here, everything you ever wanted to know about the Magi (laughs) and maybe more. The question is, what can we learn from these wise men and their worship of a Savior who is Christ the Lord? And I've got four things, and uh, we'll get through these. Worship involves time. If you're taking notes, worship involves time. These magi traveled at least, probably over 800 miles to Bethlehem to see this baby And I was just thinking about this. If they traveled 20 miles a day, that's that's a pretty good jaunt, 20 miles a day, it would have taken them about 40 days or so to get to Jesus. And so Jesus, like we shared, was probably a couple months old when they made it to the house, not to the nativity scene, but to the house where the family was. Their goal of worship, that's the reason they went there. The reason they went there, they were king appointers. They went there because they knew of this prophecy of this baby being born who was going to be king of the Jews. Their worship took time. True worship takes time. Now, some of you are just going to blow your mind, but true biblical worship is not done only on Sunday mornings from 10.30 to 11.30. All right, did you know that? True worship is not done on Sunday mornings just from 10.30 to 11.30. And in this case, it may be 11... Are you ready for this? 35. Or maybe even 11.40. Is that okay, Gracie? Gracie's always saying, Papa, why can't you get done right at 11.30? (laughs) True worship takes time. Do you know that God wants and deserves 24-7 worship? That's why Jesus explains that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you've got. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And so you're saying, like I say often, how can I worship God 24-7? It's the same way the Bible says pray without ceasing. How can I pray without ceasing? That seems so odd. Well, really what I think worship 24-7 is, is always being in the attitude of worship. Or the understanding that God is present in your life. Remember the old watches that would beep at uh, certain times, you know, like on the hour? You'd you'd beep. And I had people in my church that that would have that beep right when we were supposed to be done. You know, beep, 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 beep. I'd say, turn your beeps off. (laughs) Uh, But people would tell me that they set that in a different way. They set that, that every time it beeped, it would remind them to say a prayer. I thought, hey, that's a good idea. I heard of a guy who's sitting right back there that put a Bible verse on his steering wheel that helps him not to have road rage. (laughs) <laughs> that's, an, that's a concept of worshiping God 24-7. Or, like I've told you before, my friend who had those little post-it notes all over his house, all over his car, P-T-P-O-G, 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 P-T-P-O-G. I said, Jim, what's with all the P-T-P-O-Gs? 
And he says, they stand for practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. They were on his steering wheel. They were on his refrigerator. They were on his bathroom mirror. Everywhere. Practice the presence of God. Or something that's super simple. One way that you can worship. Just remember to pray at a meal. Just remember to pray at a meal. Worship involves time. Number two, worship involves work. Worship involves time and worship involves effort. To make an 800-mile trip, they didn't just jump in their car or jump in an airplane. 2,000 years ago, an 800-mile trip took some effort, some work, some preparation. They needed to figure out directions. Now, they were helped a little bit by the star, but nonetheless, they had to figure out some directions. They had to figure out what food they were going to bring, and these are just some little things. They had to figure out lodging. They had to figure out transportation. And, you know, with the Magi, what do you see? A camel? Maybe a donkey? I'm not sure. But they had to figure out the way they were going to get there. Think of all the effort and all the time that went into traveling to Bethlehem to appoint this new king. That's what their job was. And so I ask you, do you work at worship? Are you mindful of the songs that we sing? Sometimes we just sing the songs because we know them and they're rote and we just know them and we just sing them. But sometimes, you know, when we sing a new song, I'm thinking to myself, wow, those words to that song really are meaningful. Are you mindful of the songs that we sing? Do you prepare an offering? Do you bring your Bible to church, let alone do you open it? Do you take notes? Do you pray during the prayer time? I've shared this with you before, but I remember when I was a kid, after the pastoral prayer, I leaned over to my mom and said, that was four minutes and 33 seconds. My mom says, you're not supposed to time the prayers, all right? Do you pray during our prayer times. Do you prepare, and I know people that do this, do you prepare for Sunday morning on Saturday night? Do you prepare for Sunday morning in the drive to church? Is your worship a spectator sport? We've talked about that before. So the youth group a couple weeks ago played this game called Killer Ball. All right, You have a trash can, you have teams. The goal is to get the ball into the trash can. And basically there are no rules. Right, Jared? No, <laughs> no rules. And so you have, to, you have to keep the other team from getting the ball in the trash can. So as a 62-year-old, I decided that I would play Killer Ball. I didn't want to be a spectator. I wanted to actively be involved in killer ball. Well, one of the first things I did was get hit right smack dab in the head with my grandson's elbow. I went down on the ground hard and got up and continued to play, but remembered after the game was over, I was sweaty, I was tired, I went home and showered, I went to bed, and I woke up in the next morning sore. 
That's what happens when you play killer ball. Here's a question for you. On Monday mornings, do you wake up, maybe not sore, but enthused of the effort that you gave to worship? Something to think about. Next, worship involves, <coughs> excuse me, involves giving. Every Sunday, and I said it today, we say as a part of our worship, let's give a gift. Sometimes we say as we give our tithes, that means one, uh, uh, 10% of what you make. So if you make $100, you give $10. Very good. Very good. You're listening. You give a tithe, or we might say give a tithe and an offering. An offering is above and beyond. We also say, because some people don't give every Sunday, that you are to give of your time. The Lord wants your time. We already talked about that. The Lord wants your abilities or your talent, and then, of course, the Lord wants your treasure. As the wise men came to the house, they bowed down, it says, and worshipped the child and gave three specific gifts. Now, they may not have known the significance of their gifts, but now we do know the significance of their gifts. And the first gift was gold. You can write that down. The first gift was gold. Gold is super valuable. I looked it up. $1,768 an ounce. $1,768 an ounce, and that was of yesterday. It was valuable then, too. It's known as a gift fit for a king. Joseph had gold. David had gold. Solomon had gold. Daniel had gold. The temple was filled with gold. All those people and all those gifts were given because of the authority that those people held. It's a, it, it's a precious gift for those in positions of authority. And the wise men gave this gift because they recognized, and that's why they were there to anoint him king, they recognized his authority, and maybe even they recognized his divinity. The next gift is, don't, don't, put, don't put it up there yet. Don't put, don't, don't, put, uh, don't put the next one up because each person has to try to spell frankincense. Go. <laughs> frankincense. All right? Gold frankincense, and if you spelled it F-R-A-N-K-I-N-C-E-N-S-E, -E, you spelled it right. Raise your hand if you spelled it right. <laughs> a few people, very good. Frankincense. Frankincense was a fragrant incense used in the Old Testament times during the burnt offerings. The smell of these burnt offerings are recorded first in Genesis 8.21. And then later, the scent of the birth, uh, burnt offerings is recorded in Leviticus chapter 1 as they explain what the burnt offerings uh, were for. A burnt offering is a reference to the holiness and righteousness of God. So if you had a burnt offering, it was for forgiveness of sin, of course, but then the holiness and righteousness of God. And so frankincense for Jesus is a reference to the holy righteousness of Jesus becoming our sacrifice, the sacrifice of the burnt offerings of the Old Testament. The offering is a sweet smell to God. 
And then the last one is myrrh. Do we have those? Yeah. Maybe we do. Okay, there you go. There you go. All right. There you go. And if you needed to know how to spell myrrh, there it is. Myrrh was a perfume to make things smell good. Even dead things, because myrrh was used in embalming corpses. It's a symbol of bitterness. When Jesus was on the cross, remember in your Bible it probably says they gave him gall. Well, gall is a form of myrrh. It's a symbol of bitterness and affliction. So when you think about these gifts, I don't know that the wise men knew this, but these gifts symbolize Jesus as king. Jesus becoming a man, the myrrh, and Jesus giving his life as a sacrifice for the world. And then our last point is this. Worship involves the supernatural. This is not a YMCA. This is not a Lions Club. This is not uh, the Rotary or anything like that. This is a church. And as a church, we have a supernatural God. Worship in our building here, includes the supernatural. And I think sometimes we forget about that. Uh, in our story here, the star was a supernatural gift from the Lord. The dream that they have, verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That was a supernatural dream. For godly worship to truly be effective, we got to have the supernatural God with us. Every moment of every day, the supernatural presence of the Holy Trinity is available to every believer. That supernatural presence is available every Sunday morning. I don't think we realize that. The supernatural presence of the Lord is available every Sunday morning. I remember going to church one time, and the song that we sang, you could just feel the presence of the Lord there. And you could see it on people's faces as we sang this song. And I remember afterwards, somebody came up to me and said, I think the reason we sang that song really good was because we enjoy that song. I said, no. I said, it has nothing to do with enjoying that song. The reason we sang that song so well was the supernatural empowerment of God in his church. And I think we've got to remember that. The supernatural God of the universe wants to land on your heart every Sunday morning and every day. It's available, it's available 24-7. As the Bible says, ask and it shall be given. At the bottom of your bulletin it says, 2,000 years later, we continue to worship, to celebrate, haste, haste to bring him laud our Savior, Christ the Lord, and join with the shepherds and wise men who were the first to do so. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's wonderful. It's practical. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.